0: Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, in verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised up, listen to this, God raised up, loosening the pangs of death, Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. God bless these words as we know these words are already blessed. In Jesus' precious name, open our hearts and our minds. Bless the kids. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I was reading these verses thinking about uh, this resurrection weekend. And two Sundays ago, we did... The we, we've been doing a series on um, Easter season here in, in April. We started with the way to the cross. Last week was the way to the tomb. Today is the way to the room. And I want to just talk about the resurrection here this morning. And I'm going to give you just three points, three, uh, three principles that I'm going to be covering here by the grace of God this morning. So number one, why is, the, why is the resurrection so important? resurrection number one changes everything when we think about the resurrection of jesus christ this is a game changer it changes everything it changes our monday number two the resurrection means that things happen to us things may happen to us and focus here with me okay because i know there's there's a small room here and there's a lot of movement so just kind of focus on the word here resurrection number two means that things happen to us but they do not have us amen and then number three, the resurrection is not about where Jesus is absence, but where Jesus is present. And so number one, why is the resurrection so important? Why is this so, why does this change everything? Why is Easter, and I don't even like using that word because of historical implications, but why is resurrection Sunday so important? Why does it change everything? Christianity, and we can turn down the, the, we can turn down the temperature here if it's a little warm for folks. Christianity, resurrection, makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. It's the only religion that can point to an empty tomb and a man that had 500, at least 500 witnesses of his resurrection. Jesus, in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, was declared God, the Son of God, by his resurrection. And so the, the first thing that makes the resurrection, makes uh, this Sunday more amazing and makes religion, the Christianity, the, a different kind of religion than any other religion on the, on the planet is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead, and this changes everything. Number two, do you know that when the first 100 years of the first century church, the first century church, the main message was nothing else but, but, but the resurrection? That was the main message. That was what Paul here... I mean, that's what Peter is preaching here. This is the first message in the, in the first church that we see preached. It was the resurrection. This is the main point of our faith that Jesus rose from the dead. This Christianity has this claim in Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says this, that Jesus proves... Well, God proves that Jesus is God by resurrecting Him from the dead. In Romans 8, verse 11. The resurrection points... to a a faith that overcomes death. And number three, resurrection was the most central and most important message of the first church in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. The second thing I want to say this morning, and I'm kind of moving quickly because I want to get to this point, is this, is that horrible things happened to Jesus, but those things did not have him. Think with me about that incredible things we sat here friday night with a group of us for a good friday and we read through john 18 and john 19 together and we just kind of all were making uh, it was like a rap time we were making comments we were just kind of discussing what was going on and it was incredible what happened to jesus the injustices that happened to jesus christ horrible things incredible things happened to him but these things did not have him How many people today have horrible things happen to them, and those things have a grip on their life 20, 30 years later, and they are still in the grips of what happened to them? I think all of us in this room can identify with that. There, I count, I went through, we've been going through the book of John here, and I counted seven things that had happened to Jesus in these chapters that were just incredible. And I want to go through them and I want to bring them into some personal application. Number one, betrayal. Betrayal. Betrayal could not have him in John 17. In John, um, in John 13. Betrayal. Here's Jesus and he is, he is sitting with his disciples in John 13. He's washing the feet of, of all of his disciples, including Judas, knowing that this man was going to, was going to betray him. I don't know if you've been betrayed before have you been betrayed I don't know if you have been I think every one of us in this room has has tasted the bitter taste of betrayal we have we've had people walk in and walked out of our life we've been betrayed by people that are believers and that are unbelievers we've been betrayed by people that maybe we really respect betrayal is something that if you are on this earth for any length of time you are going to experience it and Jesus experienced it yet betrayal did not have Jesus Is that amazing when Judas said, "You know what? Hey, Simon, have been nice. It's been nice. I'm heading out to the Sanhedrin right now. I'm going to get 30 pieces of silver. You're my, you're my, 30 pieces of silver. You're my cash in." And Jesus walks out. And Judas walks out, and Jesus is with his disciples. Why does betrayal not have Jesus? It's proven right here. How many of you have the red letter Bible with you? I don't know if you got. Any of you guys have that? I don't have it here. But as soon as Judas betrays Jesus and walks out. What happens in John chapter 13 from John 13, all the way down to John through John 17. If you got a red letter Bible there, you're going it's going to be so obvious. Jesus starts speaking to his disciples. Yeah. He starts talking yeah. in the betrayal. You know something, if you've been betrayed and I love what uh, Chris said earlier, he said that because of the resurrection life that we have in us Jesus had this resurrection in life operating in him before he was even crucified. And Jesus starts talking. If you've been betrayed, if you've been in a place where you have been unjustly taken advantage of, and you're standing there with an empty jar, empty bank account, empty whatever, and you're standing there alone, and you've been betrayed, Jesus is going to start talking to you. He starts talking to you. And and John chapter 13, the second part of the Chapter goes all the way through chapter 17, and he starts talking to his church. He starts talking to his apostles, who just a few chapters later are going to start preaching in Acts chapter 2. And what we see here is Jesus starts talking about some incredible, incredible New Testament doctrines. For example, he begins to talk about the New Commandment. Let me just read some of the themes that Jesus hits. These are some major Christian theological principles that are the basis of the church and this does not happen until betrayal happens. Betrayal hurts, but it could be, some, could be one of the greatest things for you in your Christianity, in your walk with God. Let's redeem that. Let's not let it be wasted pain. He begins to talk about the new commandment. Chapter 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus begins to, in, in chapter 14, promise the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming in, into the apostles' lives. Then he, ch- he starts talking in John 15. And i got to slow down because I'm tripping over my words here. John 15, he starts talking about, I am the vine. Yeah. If you are connected with me, you have life continually. Then he starts talking about the hatred of the world and the persecution and the pain that the church is going to suffer because of association with Jesus Christ. But then he says in that latter part of chapter 15, I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to encourage you because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter 16, he talks about something that was never, ever talked about in the, entire, in the entire Bible. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to start working the office of the Holy Spirit. Who is this Spirit? He begins to define who the work of the Spirit is. And then in the latter part of chapter 16, your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. And then in chapter 17, he begins to pray. Jesus begins to pray the high priestly prayer you ever read through that i think it's important sometimes for us to open our bibles and just read and just don't i like to get stuck on one verse and just tear it all apart and exegete greek and all this but just read it through and just listen to god as as you're reading john 17 the high priestly prayer of jesus christ and jesus here is speaking you know what if you've been betrayed i just want to tell you something God is speaking to you and in that betrayal and the pain of that betrayal if you have not experienced it yet you're just going to be like well what that's that, that doesn't bother me but it'll happen and when it does happen listen to Jesus thank you listen to Jesus Christ and let him speak to you there's another thing there's another thing that did not have Jesus in John, in, in John 18 the failure of his followers did not have him do you have someone that failed you before, someone that you've poured into, that you've discipled maybe, maybe a family member that you've loved on all of, all of their lives, and then they walk away. They fail you. They blow it. Maybe you're a young person, and a, an adult has failed you in your life. You know something, that failure did not have Jesus. Jesus was not stuck on the failure of people, okay? Are you getting, are you hearing what I'm saying? Failure of people did not have Jesus why, why does he say it because in John 13 verse 36 Jesus says to Peter when he says to Peter you are going to fail me you're going to deny me three times you're going before the cock crows you're going to fail me I poured three years into your life and now you're going to fail me and then what does Jesus say to Peter he says but and I love these words I didn't see these words until yesterday as I was preparing but you, but afterwards you will follow me. Have you failed? Have you blown it? Have you has someone failed you? Remember the faithfulness of God in other people's lives. Yeah. And don't fear because the failure of other people in your life is going to be overtaken by the faithfulness of God. God does not forsake us. God will not forsake us. Number three, hack religion could not have him. This religion that bullies people. You know, I looked in the Bible this morning. Do you know that the word religion in the English Standard Version only shows up five times in the New Testament? Four of those times are used in a very interesting way. They're used in a way where it is a personal possession. For example, words like your religion or their own religion or that person's religion or his religion. It's never referred to faith in Christ. It's always referred to some kind of operation that belongs to somebody else. So religion is not a New Testament word that we use in our vocabulary as saints of God. It's used only one time in John in James chapter 1, verse 27, and we heard Chris talk about it already. It is that this is pure and undefiled defiled religion. James is saying, he's saying to the Jewish mind, you want to be religious? This is how it is. Step out of your comfort zone and begin to pour into other people, the widow, the poor, and the broken. Hack religion. You know something? The The religious system bullied Jesus. I don't know if you've been a victim of the religious bullying system. It happens, and when it happens, remember that doesn't have you. It does not have you. Because it also rejected Christ. It also sent him out of the city and crucified them. This world system did not have Jesus. John 18, verse 36. Here's Jesus talking to Pilate. And we went over this uh, Friday night. We were talking, and here's Jesus talking to Pilate. And Pilate's like this big he's like this he's a politician man he's got the talk he's got the walk he's got the swagger he is the man he is Pilate. and here's jesus standing before him he is like a beaten man well not at that point but he is like he's been beaten he's been slapped and here's Pilate uh looking at jesus and i could just see the, the i could just imagine the arrogance and the the pompous of this of this roman man and he says and he says um he said, um, what, what's going on with you, man? Like, your people, your nation has delivered you over to me. Like, your own people have denied, your own nation, your own religious system has, has sent you to me. What, what, is, what, have, what have you done wrong? And then I love what Jesus says. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Because Re- Pilate was representing the Roman system in Israel. We don't, ha- we don't have that problem here in the United States. We don't have a foreign country overpowering our system and dominating us some countries in the world have that we've lived in some of those countries where you have a government that's not welcome running the details of your life and jesus said my kingdom is not of this world because that system that world system did not have jesus you ever been in a situation where maybe i don't know something happens to you and you become a victim of the system i mean the system can either bless you or it can kill you right it's just the system is a machine isn't it And you wind up, you, can, you could be on this side of the system, or you could be on this side of the system. And sometimes we find ourselves on the left. We find, us, we find ourselves on the wrong side of the system, and we are victims of the system. Remember this, that the system has no power over Jesus Christ, because the kingdom of God is not of this world. The system did not have Jesus. So next time you get beat up by the system, remember, I am not, I am not possessed by this system. Amen? Political maneuvering. This is another thing. John 19, verse 10. Here's, the, here, here's Peter, here's his Pilate and Jesus again. Pilate says to Jesus, he says, Don't you know that I have the exousia or the power to set you free or to crucify you? What an arrogant statement. What an arrogant statement. Jesus says, You have no power except it be given to you by God. I love Jesus here because... Jesus looks like, he looks like, I mean, how many of you have played chess before? Any of you that play chess? Okay, I love chess. I love, I love playing chess, and I love, one of the strategies I love doing in chess is like kind of losing all my big pieces, and then just with the small, minute pieces, just end the game. I, love, I just love doing that. I don't know why, <laughs> but this is what Jesus did. Okay, next time you play chess with me, you're going to know my strategy. All right. <laughs> I love what Jesus does. He kind of like, he's like all the pieces on his side of the board are gone. It's just seemingly one pawn, this little guy and he's being pushed around by the religious system, by the political system, and he's pushed into Pilate, and he starts talking to Pilate, and this little, have you ever checkmated somebody with a pawn? Okay, I don't know, I have, it fun, I don't know if people play chess anymore, I'm just boasting, you know? And here's Jesus, here's the seeming pawn, he checkmates Pilate, he backs Pilate into the back of the board, and he corners him, and he says, you can do nothing unless it be given to you by God. I love that way of thinking, because in the political world, I don't know if you know any politicians, we do, and if the, easy, the way that they can easily think is, is that I'm the guy in the room, and I'm calling the shots here, and if you know me, you're going to get some favors in your life, but you know something, we know Christ, and he has his favor, his grace cannot be beat. Here's another thing, um, number six, torture could not have him, in John 19 verse 16, torture could not happen, I think maybe the first five some of us in this room have experienced, but I don't know how many of you have been physically tortured. I don't know of anybody in this room that has been. Number six, this is John 19, verse 10, uh, 19, verse 16. Jesus is delivered over to be crucified. He is delivered over. Pilate says, okay, that's it. You take him. And he's taken over to be crucified. If you've been in this place where you've been tortured, there is this sense That there is no help in the world and that you are at the mercy of these people that want to hurt you. And you cannot even understand the way they think. And Jesus here does not, he is not possessed by torture. He is not a person that is grappled by torture. He's not a person that becomes an object of torture. Because in in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, he says this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What did he do? He despised the shame. Did you ever have shame projected at you? Have you ever had psychological torture? Have you ever, had, have you ever been something like shame and, and, and uh, disapproval projected at you? Jesus despised and he said, that's not me. I'm not accepting that. I'm not putting that cloak of shame on. He despised shame because of the joy that was set. Be, he endured the contradiction of sinners, it says in the King James. And then it says, for the joy that was set before him. What's the joy that was set before Jesus? in that incredible, massive pain? What was the joy? What was he thinking about? Sometimes you and I are in these very difficult situations, and we're just kind of holding on to this joy, like, okay, I'm doing this all for my kids, or I'm doing this all for my, you know, for my family, or I'm doing this because I have a goal down the road. The joy that was set before him was you and I. is that amazing? I believe that Jesus and his, and his deity and in and some way, that while he was dying on the cross, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of Tatiana. He was thinking of Elena. He's thinking about Kim. He's thinking about the lion's hand. He has your face in his mind. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. Jesus is not thinking about me. He doesn't even know who I am. Yes, he has your face in his heart, and his mind. And he's thinking that six hours on the cross, he's thinking about you. He's thinking about you. Isn't that amazing? Oh, really, oh, okay, yeah, what's for dinner? What, what are we going to eat for Easter dinner? No, this is like, this is amazing because Jesus is thinking about you and I. And and I don't know, I mean, how many of you have kids and your kid walks in the room and his face lights up and he's just so happy to see you. Like, you know, our, our son is in this place right now where every time we walk in the room, he's like, <gasps> and he's like so happy to see us. And he's like waving to my wife was vacuuming last night and, you know, and, and, and Caleb's walking around and he's waving to my wife, hi, you know. Why, why, she's, uh, why she's vacuuming and You know, when we walk into heaven, we walk into that throne room. God is overjoyed. He is rejoicing to see us. There is joy. We look at ourselves and we think, you know, I'm a mess. I'm broken. I got all this stuff going on in my life. But God is so blessed and so happy to see us because it was a joy that was set before him. And the seventh thing that could not have Jesus was death. Death could not happen. Death could not have him. And this is, in, this is in Acts 2, verse 22. And this is our key verse here. Because death, because it was not possible. I love how it says here, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held. That Greek word for held means to, to have power over someone, to do what they want to do with. That Jesus was the first man that had that death had no power over. What's the what's the worst thing that could happen to us? We die, right? But like you know, is that the end? No. And according to what we read in the scripture, that we never lose consciousness. That actually, when when it's time to die, we enter into this state of grace, and we're not we're not living, we're not feeling this. And that you know, like here's we see this with the with Stephen, he is being stoned, and as he's being stoned, he's looking up and he's seeing Jesus standing right standing up at the right hand of the Father. Yeah. Like we don't see that we don't see that Stephen here is living under the pain of what was going on. Because even in death we will see his face and we will have grace to die. Death does not have Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is so isn't that awesome that death does not have him, that the penalty of death does not have him. And therefore he is in us and that does, he does not that, those things do not have us. I think that next time when we experience these things that come at us, remember this: that Jesus in you is greater than all of that, and this does not have you. This does not have you. The third and the last thing I want to say to this morning is this is that the resurrection is not about where He's not, but where He is present. I was thinking about that this morning. I got a text this morning from somebody. How many of you get a lot of pictures and texts and messages like happy Easter? And, you know, we get it for all these different languages. And, and so like and then in another two weeks, we're going to get it's going to all happen again. Because in Ukraine, where we have churches that we've planted, they uh, Ukraine and Russia, they celebrate Easter in another two weeks. Right. One week or two weeks. That's the Orthodox. That's the Orthodox Easter. And one person texted me. And they said they said happy where the heck did his body go day? <laughs> it was like from somebody who's, you know, he's an interesting, interesting place in his life. And I, I thought, wow, that's really true. Like, when we look at the tomb, we're looking at something empty. Now, how many of you went to Sunday school? Here's what was my problem. I would look at the, I would look at the empty tomb, and I'd be like, okay, what is so amazing about that? Because it's just something that's empty. And, we, and the empty tomb has become almost a logo for Easter. But you know something... When we read in the book of uh, John in chapter 19, and then we start reading into verse 20, the question is not where is he not, where is he absent, but where is he present? And if we go to John chapter 20, verse 19, I want to read these verses to you. This is where Jesus is, and this is the message of resurrection. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked with the disciples were of the fear of the Jews. Let's park there for a second. The fear of the Jews. The disciples were not in the upper room in the fear of condemnation for what they did. They were afraid of the Jews. They weren't afraid of God. They were afraid of the Jews. I don't know how many times you and I have found ourselves locked up in our protective zone because we are afraid of people that are going to judge us, that are going to cast stones at us, even maybe Christians that may be very um, judgmental. And so we lock the doors. We Protect ourselves. We want to protect that area that hurts, and so here, the here are the apostles, the disciples, there in the upper room, and the doors are locked, and they are for the fear of the Jews. And then what happened? Jesus came, and stood among them, and said, "I love that. I just love the way God works. He goes, I don't need a door. I don't need a wall. I'm just going to come in your midst." I'm going to come right in the middle of that zone where you, that nobody knows what's going on in that room of your soul. And I'm going to stand in the midst of it. I'm just going to stand there in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to stand in grace. I'm going to stand there and I'm going to say one thing to you. Peace be unto you. You got locked doors in your room today? I don't know. Maybe there's stuff in your soul. Stop living in shame. Stop living in condemnation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And let Jesus come in. Well, he's going to come in anyway. You don't have to let him in. or what? He's, he's walking in anyway. He's coming oh, in. Man. Just like, you know, Jeff said, we're going to have people come do worship with us. I was like, oh, great, man. <laughs> it's like, this is going to be awesome. Just walk right in. And, we know, and Jesus stood in the midst. I love that. No condemnation. No judging. Jesus comes in and says, peace be unto you. Peace. The guy who you just denied, peace be unto you. The guy who just said... And all the disciples denied him. All of them left. All of them forsook him. Not just Peter, but all of them did. And Jesus standing there and he says, Peace be unto you. Peace. It's been reconciled. You've been reconciled to God through the blood of Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen? The, your conscience will not accept any other currency to pay for the guilt except for the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the way we're built. And that's why we need to live in that washing of the blood of Jesus Christ in every circumstance, do you feel like you're not enough? Do you feel like you're insufficient? Do you feel like you're not making the cut? Do you feel like you're withdrawing? Peace be unto you. You are in. You are in, and Jesus is in the room. Where is Jesus today? The tomb is empty. Where is he? He's in the room. He's here. He's in this room with us today. He is with us. He is not, and he's saying one thing to you. Peace be unto you. Well, you know, I can tell you all the reasons why I don't belong in this church. I can I tell you all the reasons why I'm, dis, I'm disqualified from doing anything in this church, from washing the floor or whatever. Jesus says this one thing. Peace be unto you. He has made twain one. Yeah. He's made, he has is, he is reconciled us back to God. And this is our message, that when we go to work, we think, I'm reconciled to God. Do you know what anxiety is? Anxiety is the state of the soul that we experience when we, stop, when we stop remembering that we have peace with God. Billy Graham wrote this book many years ago. I don't know if you've ever read Billy Graham. Uh, he wrote a book called Peace with God. So simple. Romans chapter 5, we have peace with God, peace with God here's the man, the man that you, that you and I were responsible for, for crucifying. And if Jesus lived today, the same exact thing would happen to him again. He'd be delivered up. He'd be slainer by the media. He'd be portrayed as some evil person. And then he'd be crucified, and he'd be buried, and he would raise again. And Jesus said, peace be unto you. And then what does he say here in verse 20? And then when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why did he do that? He said, I just want to show you that I'm the man. I am the one. That you crucified. And then what does he say again? He said, Well, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In verse 21, they said to him, Then he said again to them, Peace be unto you. Does this remind you of something? This reminds me of Joseph when when he was with his brothers, when his brothers had delivered him up to be killed, to be and they sold him to the Egyptians. And here's Joseph um, separated from his family, separated from his dad, the pain that he's living in, and he was a victim of betrayal and all of these things. He was jailed, and then he's now in a place of position. And here is his brother standing before him, and they are guilty. And Joseph says to you, what you meant for evil, God had a bigger person. Joseph didn't have any problem forgiving his brothers because God had already forgiven them. It wasn't even an issue for Joseph, well, do I forgive him or I do I not forgive him? They're forgiven. Just Joseph was aligning himself with the way God looked at his brothers and the plan that God had for his brothers And so Jesus said a second time, peace be unto you, because we forget it. We forget it. We live in this guilt. We live in this craziness because we think that God's grace is limited. And then he said this. He said this, peace unto you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I want to close with this. At that point, he breathes the Holy Spirit on him. We don't read that very often. We miss that. Jesus says, I'm sending you and I'm giving you my spirit. You know, something? you know what Resurrection Sunday is about? It's about that we have been sent. We have been sent. We, we wake up in the morning and there is a sent on us. I don't know if that makes sense. You wake up and you're, you're, we have a mission. Sometimes we get a little disoriented to what our purpose is. We are sent by God and we have the breath of the Holy Spirit in us. i close with this, is that whenever we forget the peace of god that the peace that we have with god begin to meditate on who you are in christ i was talking with uh, ryan earlier about the main problem of christianity is is that we're not talking about our identity in christ we're talking about programs what you got to do and the, the american mindset is this tell me what to do and i'm going to feel like i'm in i'm 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 in. Jesus does not give us a program. He says, this is who you are. If you come to church looking for a program, you're going to find a lot of churches that can do that. But when you come to a New Testament finished work preaching church, you're going to hear who you are in Christ. And when you know who you are in Christ, you're going to know what to do because that DNA is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And when God speaks to us, when the word is preached to us, God's not speaking to your flesh, hey, do this, do that. Because the flesh is saying, give me a program. I just want to feel engaged, involved that I can participate so I can have some sense of value. God is saying, no, I'm not giving you a program. I'm going to tell you who you are in Christ. You are forgiven. You have, a, you have peace with God and have a plan for your life. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for resurrection. We thank you that death could not stop you. We thank you, God, that, that the failures of men, the failures of the followers, that betrayed, torture the 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 religious system, the world system, uh, the systems that are in this in this um, world cannot hold you. We thank you too, God that Christ in us is not held. Even though we try to lock the doors, even though this tomb is sealed, Jesus will get out. He'll step out. He'll break out. Well, we thank you if you're here this morning maybe you don't know Jesus Christ, I just want to say, let him come into your life, let him walk into the room, and let him speak to you, peace be unto you. Let him take away the guilt, the fear, the fear of acceptance, the fear of the future, the fear of failure. Let him take that away. And just let him speak to you. Just say, Jesus, come to my life. Be my Savior stand and worship.